0: Here are your hosts, Chase Palm And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCrady. I deserve to be on TV.
2: Welcome into Hand Raised Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air. Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, giving this to you guys early on a Thursday because there's a good bit of content that's kind of timely. There's some uh, NFL... Draft content coming your way, I talked to Eric Edholm of uh, Yahoo Sports a little bit earlier this afternoon as I'm recording this on a Thursday afternoon. And then uh, late Wednesday, I talked to Chris Lee of Southeastern 14, get you ready for uh, another weekend of SEC baseball. Big weekend as the uh, every team in the league will hit the midway point by the end of the weekend. Most of the series starting Thursday evening, including Ole Miss at South Carolina. A couple series starting on Friday, ending on Sunday. But most everybody is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. So we'll uh, get you ready for those. Also talk about his story about the Tennessee Volunteers, the bat controversy of sorts that uh, hit them uh, a couple weeks ago. So we'll talk about that. Chris had a really big story uh, last week on Southeastern 14 that didn't get as much traction as I think it probably should have. But that story's not dead, so – There's a lot of season left, and you'll I suspect be hearing about that story more as um, the season goes on. We're coming to you, uh, as brought to you, I should say, by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. It's the same great product, same great services, same people, just different names. Uh, If you're in the Oxford Tupelo area, get in touch with Comer, 662-801-1777. If you're in uh, Hernando, Memphis, DeSoto County, that area, get in touch with the people at Southern Six six two four two nine forty four twenty nine. Great customer service. Listen, it's about to get warm. If you have not cranked up the AC just yet, uh, consistently, you're probably going to be doing it soon. And uh, even if it's kind of working, when it gets really hot, you want to make sure that air conditioner is ready to roll. Your freon levels are right. All of those things. Get in touch with Comer. Get in touch with Southern. And uh, make sure that you're ready to go. And in the event that you have a problem, those are the people you need to call. Comer and Southern, they'll take great care of you. Uh, Tremendous products and um, great customer service. Uh, They've helped us late on a Friday, helped us on a Sunday, helped us when we've had uh, AC issues. And our house had uh, the AC issues. The upstairs went out one year. The um, downstairs went out right behind it. So we've been dealing with uh, Comer here in oxford for a while eric Payne and all the people there are fantastic and they'll be great for you as well so again comer heating and air southern air conditioning and heating i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios clark ford's in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 get in touch with my buddy Corey clark tell cory what ford product you're looking for he'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours right to the bottom line no hassle no haggle you get your quote, the rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662 257 1900. Great products, great services. Uh, Corey wants to be your car guy, wants to be a truck guy. I'll prove to you what that means when you make the call again 662 257 1900. Eric Edholm, Chris Lee, uh, join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters, uh, music and food on the square in Oxford. Great place to grab a uh, burger, a po' boy, an appetizer. Watch some of the games over the course of this weekend. And then obviously for coming up next weekend for the uh, Grove Bowl, for the Mississippi State Series, for Double Decker, all of that going on in uh, Oxford next weekend. Um, make sure you make Rafters a part of uh, your weekend if you get a chance. A great uh, beer selection, full bar and more there. Rafters on the square in Oxford and Rafters in New Albany. So I talked to uh, NFL Draft, New Orleans Saints, Matt Corral, Sam Williams, Chance Campbell, Jerry Neely, um, Snoop Connor, Malik Willis. Talked about a lot of different topics here in the next uh, 20-some-odd minutes with Eric Edholm, longtime friend of mine at Yahoo Sports. Uh, coincidentally, the first ever guest on the Oxford Exxon podcast. If you're listening to this uh, late Thursday or early Friday as part of the Oxford Exxon podcast, there's the answer to your trivia question. Here is uh, Eric Edholm on the rafters, music and food on. My longtime friend, Eric Edholm, Yahoo Sports, kind enough to uh, join us here. Uh, I, I can only imagine how slammed you are, so I'll sort of get right to it because I don't want to <laughs> eat up too much of your time, but it's the question that a lot of Ole Miss people I think are asking, and you know how this is, people at the draft, you've, you've, you're you you in love with the guys you cheered for that wore your sure. uniform. and all of that stuff. And uh, Matt Corral had uh, two really great seasons, including one historic season at at Ole Miss, leading Ole Miss to the Sugar Bowl and uh, deciding to play in the game, which I think endeared him even further to the fans and that kind of thing, Eric. And then these mock drafts come out with, um, you know, Matt Corral falling, I think uh, just picking one that I just happened to see this morning, Mel Kiper Uh had him uh, 49th, the second round of the saints. And, you hear a lot of talk about people trying to aggressively trade up from Malik Willis and Kenny yeah. Pickett going in front. Where does, where does Matt corrals market? Where, where is it sort of settling right now, a week away from the draft in your opinion?
3: Yeah. And I mean, you know, just using uh, Willis is a launching point. Obviously anybody who watched the Liberty Ole Miss game might come away thinking, uh, I think you might have the wrong quarterback here. Right. But the NFL is such a traits driven league when it comes to that position, especially, but at every other spot too. And, you know, they, I think in a lot of ways would rather take the scratch off ticket, you know, what's behind door number two, if you will. And, and Willis being, you know, a very toolsy player, but an unrefined one at this point um, over somebody like Corral who, you know, played, you know, three plus seasons and, Um, I think showed, obviously, good athleticism, uh, respectable arm talent, uh, won some big games, completed a high percentage of his passes, cut down on the interceptions that were a a big, you know, kind of bugaboo in certain games in 2020. Obviously, uh, you know, I think it was the LSU and the Arkansas games that immediately come to mind. But, um, you know, traits wise, it's not like we're talking about a guy who doesn't have anything. He's just a smaller frame guy. The question about you know, whether he's going to be susceptible to injuries is obviously there. Um, the ankle injuries, the repeated ankle injuries, something that um, has, you know, been mentioned in the scouting process, obviously. And arm wise, you know, I don't think it's special, but he's got a nice, tight, quick release. And, you know, we saw some similarities to Zach Wilson, at least in play style. And Wilson went number two last year. So, you could make a case that he's underrated in a lot of aspects. I think some people are worried, you know, he may not be as effective a runner on the NFL level. Yes. He can scramble and buy time and all that, but um, you know, there was obviously some character stuff that, that, that came up mostly from his past, mostly from, you know, the high school days and in, in the early part of uh, uh, of his life, but he's been really transparent about that. I appreciate that. He had a long chat with me about, you know, mental wellness and, you know, addressing his own issues and, and, you know, being forthright with himself and with his family and his teammates and, you know, Lane Kiffin, I know they've built a a, a crazy good relationship over the past couple of years. So, you know, there's a lot to like, but I do think that ultimately you could probably start the clock late in round one on him, you know, with teams wanting to get that fifth year option for a quarterback. Um, It's a possibility. You could see him go in round two. I don't think he'll go, after somebody like Sam Howell, but I don't know that he goes before Desmond Ritter. I think Desmond Ritter is viewed as maybe a little bit safer of a prospect, uh, which goes against the traits thing, but he's also a, a, a premier athlete. So, you know, it's a, it's a balancing scale here and people have to decide how high a ceiling they see for a player like Corral and, and when's the time to pull a trigger. But I think it's somewhere between 25 and, and 55 overall.
2: You know, you mentioned Lane Kiffin. It's interesting. Lane's obviously coached a lot of quarterbacks as mm-hmm. a as a head coach at USC, as a coordinator at Alabama, now Matt Corral at, at Ole Miss. And I hear this kind of a whisper a little bit talking to people that are NFL people. It's like, yeah, well, you know, Kiffin's such a good play caller. Right. And he's such a good – he really sees – you know, people talk about Lane Kiffin, the play caller, forget the Joey Freshwater crap and all that. <laughs> they talk about just Lane Kiffin, the game day football coach. It's almost yeah. like all, you know, it's like, it's like, this guy's like rain, man. I mean, he mm-hmm. just, sees stuff. And they're like, you know, he was able to protect corral. He was able mm-hmm. to give him these one, one read, boom, get the ball out of your hand. There's a play. That's right. And, and, that worked at Ole Miss, but you know what if what if he's playing for the Lions or he's playing for the the Panthers or the Falcons or the Saints or whoever? Right. And you've got to go through progressions and there's not Lane Kiffin right there with real time. Um, yeah, here's what the here's here's the hand. Here's here's the, here's what the card. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're having to you're having to play poker without knowing the cards a little bit. Is, is that a fair criticism or is that something that just gets brought up in this four month period where the NFL over analyzes everything?
3: Yeah. I never, I never like when there, are you know, just generalizations are are thrown out there and, and, you know, that they should apply to all situations. But in this particular case, I think there's some merit to it because I think when plays broke down and corral wasn't, you know, didn't transition into a scrambler, there were some questions about how he played outside of structure. You know, the decision-making wasn't quite as good and crisp. And, you know, a lot of people will say, how do you go from completing 59% of his – I want to say it's around 59 and, in 2019. You now, granted, he was rotating with uh, with John Reese. And, you know, I, I still – I think there are a lot of people who say, aha you know, Kiffin really kind of unlocked something. And it was his system – you know, you see guys running free down the field and, and you know, the, these are easy throws that most quarterbacks can make because it's schemed up by the, the Brainiac. And so, you know, the, he throws the play sheet up in the air before the ball touches the receiver's hand, that sort of thing. Yeah. There's no doubt that plays into it. Um, and so I think with Corral and, and you know, you, you just want to be able to teach him your offensive system, wherever he ends up going, um, you know, see what he can do when plays break down, when when you know the protection isn't perfect, when the receiver stumbles off the line, whatever it may be, right? Or, or there's an unexpected blitz or, or somebody drops that you're not anticipating. Whatever situation that comes up, you know, whatever everyone says makes Tom Brady so great is he's a lightning fast thinker. He's played out every scenario in his mind. That's I think where people will say, here's where Mac Corral needs work or needs time. And you know, experience isn't gained overnight. So that applies to Malik Willis with Hugh Freeze. That certainly applies to, I mean, Pitt had a very well-called offense last yeah. year, so you can say it, it applies to Pickett and Sam Howell, certainly with Phil Longo's offense. I mean, it it definitely isn't something unique to him, but I think it, it absolutely is fair to bring it up in his case and say, we just don't know if that's the kind of player he'll be, or if you'll need a really rigid structure to play within in the NFL.
2: Along those lines, and I haven't heard too many people kind of ask the question this way. I'm sure you have because you've talked to everybody. Um, Is there a beyond the money? Obviously, you'd love to be the first pick in the draft and you get all the money in your pocket and you're all good. Money aside, which I realize is quite a caveat, but (laughs) money aside, is there a great scenario for Matt long-term? Is it? Is there a, a a... a franchise or two that you look at Eric and you go, you know what? He would be really a good fit there. We were talking on the Thursday Oxford Exxon podcast about, you know, we just took mock draft and said, let's just play that out, you know, and it was going 49th to the saints in the second round where obviously he wouldn't walk in as a starter and there wouldn't right. be a lot of pressure for him uh, in that scenario. Um, would, would that be a good fit, you know, in that, in that city, in that system where he was behind Winston for at least a year with the chance right. to, i I think you know where I'm going here. Is there yeah. a bit or two that you look at and, you know, that would be good for him where he's in the league eight, 10 years from now.
3: Yeah. And that's, I think, I think that's ideally where he lands is somewhere where there isn't an expectation to start from day one. I think that will exist for whatever team drafts. Can he pick it, you know, assuming he goes in round one, which I expect him to, but you know, uh, Malik Willis, I think everybody kind of knows coming in. Okay. You're, you're buying high, but in two or three years, you are expecting more and he may not be able to play right away. So with Corral, it's sort of somewhere in the middle a little bit. And I think, you know, you you certainly look at Atlanta with Marcus Mariota, who's, you know, serviceable. He's played for Arthur Smith before, that sort of thing. But there's no way that you're saying Mariota's locked into this job for two, three years. It's it's fluid. The idea is that he technically could be benched, uh, you know, sometime in 2022. He might hold the job all season, and then they open the door after the year. Or perhaps a rookie gets a, a you know week 17 or 18 start uh, to audition for next year and get a jump on that if, if they're out of contention. So, yeah, a team like New Orleans or Atlanta. I mean, I think New Orleans is, is interesting, but the conversations that I've had with people who kind of are familiar with their thinking is that they're almost seeming aggressive to the point where they feel like they can com- compete this year. You know, Matt Ryan's out of the division. You know, Tom Brady's coming back, but there's no guarantee at his age that he can keep up. Uh, His incredible pace. All we have is 20 plus years of evidence, but still, you know, (laughs) Carolina is in kind of a weird spot. They don't really have their 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 preferred starting quarterback. So, you know, I will say the only the only caveat with the Saints is that, you know, they have the two first round picks and they may be aggressive to the point where they work themselves out of the ability to draft him based on where they're picking. So. Yes. In theory, it would be a nice place with Winston or, you know, I think Atlanta makes a lot of sense. Washington would certainly be on that list. Carson Wentz, you know, his, his future is undecided yet. So uh, somewhere where there's a starter in place, but maybe one who hasn't have too tight a grip on that job long-term would, would be ideal for him.
2: There's been talk about the saints being aggressive at trading, take, packaging those picks and trading up. There's a lot yeah. of, a lot of saints fans in our audience, obviously, Um, Do you see that as a scenario or do you think it's more likely they kind of hang where they are and use those picks to draft guys who could fit holes now?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I could see it both ways. Right. You could argue they need a left tackle. You could argue they need a wide receiver. You could argue that the future of the quarterback position is, is unknown right past this year. Uh, even arguably at some point during this year. Defensively, you know, I think most, most boxes are checked off. You still want a little more depth, but, you know, you look at what they did late in the season of the Bucks. Most of those contributors are back next year. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's Dennis's team. I mean, that's, that's obviously going to be kind of their bread and butter in a lot of respects along with, you know, Kamara and Michael Thomas if he's, you know, back to where we expect him to be. So yeah, I would argue that that if there's a more immediate need, it would probably be a tackle and, and receiver. And I think both those positions arguably could have early runs. Tackle could begin right away at like three, you know, three, four, five. Those teams all would would make sense for for drafting an offensive lineman. Uh, a couple teams after that in the top ten and the early teens. So. You know, do they have a player they love? Is is Charles Cross somebody who reminds them enough of Teron Armstead to where they can uh, move up and feel good about it? Maybe is there a receiver they feel could be the perfect complement to Thomas or stand up as a number one if if you know he's not on the roster a year from now? Maybe because that receiver market I think will be will be hot once the once the matches lit once the first one goes off the board. I think the next ten picks or so we could see another. Five or six receivers go off the board. So the action will be pretty fast at both at both positions if those are the ones that are looking at.
2: Yeah. Eric has a story at Yahoo Sports about a run on wide receivers that mm-hmm. likely to come in the first round that is along those. And that's how the draft works. I mean, yeah. There's, you know, if you've ever done a fantasy football draft or a fantasy baseball draft, you go yeah. in a plan sometimes and then all of a sudden you're like, okay. He took a shortstop. He took a shortstop. I got to go get a shortstop. It's time,
3: right? (laughs) And especially look at, I mean, look at the crazy contracts that have been issued this year. I mean, at that position used to be quarterback, right? You draft a quarterback in round one to save money at the position, you know, it's a step back, but you hope they're good. Long-term wide receiver is almost getting in that, in that level. We have nine, I believe nine off the top of my head, Wide receivers making twenty million dollars or more on average per year. You it's know? such an so,
2: impactful position. I mean, you talked about right. Jamar Chase and the impact that he had on the Bengals. Everyone talks about Joe Burrow and deserving yeah. oh, but but Jamar Chase was um, a game changer for that. No doubt that, that team. He, he was one of the huge reasons that they were in position to to make a Super Bowl run. Yep. Um, you don't have a lot of more time, so let me get to a couple more things that I know sure. our, our listening audience is going to want to ask me to ask you about. Sam Williams. Uh, had a tremendous senior year, um, looked like he had a great pro day and yet I continue to sort of hear the rumblings that he's, he's going to fall in in the draft that he's, he's could fall third round, fourth round that the, the, the past stuff just lingers for him. Um, I know you're, you're not Nostradamus here, but what do you sort of envision happening with Sam next week?
3: Yeah, I think he's a top hundred talent. I mean, right. We saw, he's just this hard charging, you know, uh, uh, scheme wrecking defensive end i think you know his game could probably use a little a little nuance to it but boy when you can when you can barrel your way into the backfield the way he did and, and wreak as much consistent havoc as he did last season i mean you know you he, he led the team in what sacks forced fumbles tackles for loss <laughs> you know it's just checking yeah, off a ton of play making boxes yeah um you know the bit the long fumble return for the touchdown he had i mean I do think the character stuff is going to be a case by case basis. Some teams obviously have a much more sort of liberal approach to that. And they're going to take some, as long as it's not certain types of things, obviously, you know, the, the arrest in, in what was it? 2020, I guess. Um, you know, even if the charges were dropped, there's, there's concern there, you know, similar to what we were talking about for, for weeks with Deshaun Watson. So, you know, there will always be teams that, for character reasons are going to be a lot more buttoned up and just say, you know what, uh, w- if we can't get total sign off on a guy, he's just not going to be on our draft board. So, you know, the fear being something else happens later, right? Sure. Of course. Teams don't care. Necessi- I should say that teams, teams want to know what have you done before, but are you going to do it in the future? Right. And if they hear a guy has changed, that that could allow them to open some doors as far as you know putting them on their board but yeah i think you have them in the right spot i would say top 100 possibility um but you're right the talent suggests he should go higher than that it's also a deep edge class this year which i think factors in on some level
2: snoop connor jerry and ely and <laughs> they hear their names called or are they looking at free agent deals
3: no i think they are i mean i, I you know again running back you know there are a couple that, that are staying above the rest, I would say, you know, in that that first, second, third round range. But you know, with, with Connor, I think he's um probably an early to midday three pick, round five, round six, something like that. You know, somewhere in that range, I would say. And, you know, obviously the you know, consistent production for three years, even if it was limited carries, I would say that's you know, a, a positive for him and well-built, thick kid. He, you know, he's he's he runs with his pads behind him and and runs angry. And there's, there's a role for that. And, you know, I mean, I would say his testing numbers were maybe a little bit better than some people expected. I mean, a big bench press number, if I recall, Um, I, I, you know, I think there's some times when he gets a little impatient as a runner and you know, sit there and and watch 10 games of him. But, you know, there were times when, you know, his instincts might have been open to question. He's not a great receiver. At least we haven't seen it yet. But day three pick, I think absolutely. And and who was the other? uh,
2: Jerry Neely, the other other running back, Jerry. Yeah.
3: And I think probably, you know, again, it's going to depend on what you want. He's sort of the total opposite in some ways. He can catch the football. You know, he was a little bit more of a volume back, even at his size. And um, I, you know, it's the question of, he has some limitations to his game. I, I think he's a pretty versatile player. He's got some nice athletic traits. He's just the, the size suggests that he's going to be a third down back in the NFL, but his speed wasn't good enough to where you feel, you know, great about projecting him. Uh, but he, so he's, you know, late day three borderline draftable. I would guess if I had to, you know, just throw that out there. Let
2: me ask you about one more Ole Miss guy. I did yeah. a show with them all fall. Uh, Chance Campbell, the linebacker that uh, yeah. transferred from Maryland was, um, I'm using the word impactful a lot today for some reason. I, I don't know why. He was quite impactful for Ole Miss's defense. He, he took turned a weakness into a strength for that team. Um, he, he thought about coming back for another year, decided yep. to, to go pro while he was healthy. Uh, I, I know he's uh, he's a day three, if anything, but do you do you hear any buzz with him at all in terms of of being able to help a team on special teams, play some linebacker? I know he ran a little better than people thought that he would run yeah. at the pro day.
3: Yeah, I sub four six, if I recall, which yeah. you know I think a lot of people sort of viewed him as this little you know a little bit of a a slower sort of two down Mike linebacker or whatever. But you know another guy who had some pretty good ball production, stripping the the ball loose, and um, you know I think has a history of of stripping fumbles away, and um, you know I. His instincts at the very least, and that speed number will will guarantee him a job on special teams at the very least, maybe a fourth or fifth linebacker spot. And, you know, like you said, I mean, it seems like, you know, he's got the the kind of the lacrosse type athleticism that that's better than maybe you expect when you watch him play. I think he's a, he's a, he's a nice player who probably either goes. Yeah. Seventh round PFA that's that's if I had to guess, um, the linebacker position is maybe a little weaker. I think it is. Some people like it, but it gives him a chance to get drafted. But at the very least, he'll be one of the, the the more sought after priority for agents, I think. And then, yeah, he just he checks a lot of boxes, even if he's not an exceptional player as an NFL prospect.
2: Eric, uh, we've started with quarterbacks. We'll finish with quarterbacks just quickly. I'm I'm curious. Uh, you talked about Pickett and Willis and, and mm-hmm. Ritter and those guys. How quickly do you envision the first quarterback going off the board next Thursday?
3: That's the, that's the golden ticket question right there. I, I really don't know. I mean, I think that the, the conversation at least starts at number six. Carolina is picking there. They don't have another pick until round four. That's a big problem. And, and Scott Fitterer comes from Seattle. He's been there now a couple of years, but his instinct is always going to be to, to, to trade back. I think that's that's in his blood. And I think that's what he wants to do. Will there be an offer? I don't know. If they stay at six, I think a quarterback would be in play if there's not one of their favorite offensive tackles still sitting there. If they pass, is Seattle at nine on in play? You know, do we drop down even further than that? I think it's going to be a little lower than some people uh, are imagining right now. I'm not at all thinking that that Carolina is locked into a quarterback because they have the cap space to go after, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield or somebody like that. So I know that, you know, that those aren't going to get people thrilled, but if you don't love somebody, if you don't have conviction over a player, why take them at number six and not having another selection for two rounds? That's a tough one for me. So saints possibly if, if things break right for them, pittsburgh you know they could they could move up they could stay there 20 and maybe get lucky with one of them it's really really hard to say where the run starts and and even for that matter when the second or third quarterbacks come off
2: it's always fun to watch because it's the you can tell teams that that are that are disciplined to their plan and yeah you can also sometimes tell that a a panic happens in a room oh yeah and and somebody goes hey we got to go get our guy and Yep. The whole board sort of goes to hell in a handbasket right there, <laughs> but, which is what makes it fun. I, I, at least that's what the way I envision it. And I've talked yes. people and it sort of feels like that's the way it works. Um, Hey, thanks for the time. I know you're super busy. You got uh, it. Yeah. Again, for doing it and uh, really encourage people to follow your work at Yahoo.
3: Yeah. Pleasure is mine. A lot of old missed prospects to look at this year. So it'll be uh, fun for your listeners and uh, always fun for us who, you know, eat, breathe and uh, drink this stuff uh, year round.
4: Talk to you soon, my friend.
3: All right, buddy.
2: There you go. That was Eric Edholm. I had to switch screens. I apologize. Um, Appreciate his time talking about the NFL draft. Starts next Thursday. We're tentatively planning to do a uh, kind of a first-round watch party on Thursday night for no other reason than to watch Chase suffer through the Saints' picks. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, next week as we get into uh, draft week. Uh weekend of SEC baseball is upon us. And uh talked about that, the Tennessee Bat scandal and more with uh Chris Lee of Southeastern Fourteen. Here's Chris.
4: Chris Lee of
2: Southeastern Fourteen dot com, also Vandy Sports.com, kind enough to uh, join us again today. Chris, how are you? Excellent. You? I'm good. So aware of a story you were working on last week um you published it i believe on friday is that right i think that's yes right. friday morning yeah because we talked about it right as i was walking in the knee rehab um so i was about tennessee and uh their weekend in um uh, in vanderbilt a couple of weeks ago when they played a three-game set there at vandy and the friday game was the night that uh a bat was confiscated, a home run was taken off the board, tests were taken on the bat, you were able to, through sources, put together what had happened, and you reported on that over the course of a week. I'm curious if you could sort of take us through that story, and then I'd love to talk to you about the reaction that you have, and to some degree, have not gotten since you reported that story a week ago.
4: Yeah, I would push back on one thing you said, Okay, um, and, and I, I tried to make this clear from the beginning. This is not a so-and-so is cheating story, and that's how it got framed by a lot of people. This is a, I saw this happen. I heard this kind of thing was going on. I was on the lookout for something like that to happen two weekends ago. And and by the way, people make assumptions where you get your information. Uh, that that was not coming out of the Vanderbilt baseball program. That was that was out there in other circles. Yes. if you were listening to that, and so you know, but by virtue of doing two things, you get framed as is something. And I know we'll get into that later, but I wanted to frame it as because Neil, you know how it goes. Sometimes you start on a story, and you're going, "Wow, I see this," and that's a story, right? Sure. Well, as you as you dive in, it's got layers, and you're going, "Oh." I didn't know about this and I didn't know about that. And I never would have thought to ask for this. And, and so you peel you peel the onion one layer at a time. And, and what you're left with at the end of the day was, I think, a college baseball story about whether, whether what's going on matches what's been privately alleged in some circles. I, I don't know. That's hard for me to say. You know, probably only God and a few people know for sure, but you look for things and signs like you would in any story. And there's some things that are, that certainly don't add up at times. But t- to me, the story was when I dug in, I had evidence of some things that if I were in the NCA and the SEC, I would want to know. And when I went to the SEC, the SEC deflected to the NCA. And I, when I went to the NCA, there was an alarming amount of, we really don't care that disturbed me because I think above and beyond, because there's other layers to this too. It is, it's a competitive issue, but it's also a safety issue because, and and this is why I knew that the minute I wrote that story, it would invite all kinds of stuff. I also know if writing that story somehow indirectly saves somebody's eight year old daughter from getting beaned by a foul ball off a hot bat, and killed you know then my goodness you know if if god put me on earth to do that alone that would have been worth it right yeah sure um that's you know when when you told
2: me this when you told me what you were hearing and i think i told you this that was kind of my first thought was you know what Ole miss played uh i don't know who was it the other day murray state or somebody at murray state i think it was the school school kid game right you know everyone does those the kid games yeah it's 11 a.m. and all the kids, it's springtime and the teachers are done. And, it's you know, let's hey, let's load them up on buses and take them to a baseball game and let them yell and scream and dance to the music between innings and all that stuff. But it's a lot of fun. But if you ever go to one of those games and I've been to them at the college level, I've been to my minor league baseball in Mobile. You also watch and you realize a bunch of people are in the stands and they're not locked mm-hmm. into the game. And there's not a ton of reaction time at all. And you don't want anything that, that reduces that reaction time is bad. You know, like you go to a baseball game and sometimes someone's looking at his or her phone or they got a, maybe they got a text and they're in the middle of a conversation. Chris, it happened to me at Wrigley a few years ago, and I'm the one who watches games. But I got a text from my son and I was responding to it. And I think it was Javier Baez hit one that went right over my head. And, um, you know, it was kind of scary. And <clears throat> that was the thing I thought was well, they're already swinging aluminum. If they're swinging doctored hot aluminum, if you will, well, someone could really get hurt.
4: Yeah. Well, and here's here's another thing to to peel back before we get into these, and this this will get a lot of discussion. I think the bats right now, even if nobody is doing anything illegal, they're hitting balls pretty hard. I mean, I I I go to games. I see. I saw one twelve off the bat yesterday. You know. I don't even think that was a legal bat. I just think that's the way they hit these days. And, you know, the specs are designed within a certain tolerance. I'm seeing stuff coming off the bats that that any tampering aside and stuff like that, I'm just thinking that's kind of dangerous. But, you know, people like offense. The league, I'm sure, the NCAA like offense. Home runs, sell tickets and sorts of things, you know, all sorts of things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, that whole discussion becomes something else as somebody gets hurt. And I I think that's my primary concern. I think even without, and look, if Neil, if you're coach of a team, right, you can choose certain kinds of bats. And I've seen the NCAA's list of approved bats and there's all sorts of things on there, but I just wonder if the, the limits we've set that are legal already uh, are, are a little scary to me, and that's before we even get into tampering because I'm, I'm seeing how balls come off bats, and I know good and well everybody's not cheating. I don't know how many are, but I, I think some are, and, and I, I think that concerns me because if you've already got a bat that legally hits the way these things hit at times and you take it a couple steps further, uh, I mean, you, you've got danger one way and you've really got danger the next.
2: So as you watched that unfold on that Friday night, what did you – what did you see happen? What were you what what was your, what were your thoughts? And then, kind of, take me through the reporting over the course of that weekend.
4: Well, it's funny the way it unfolded. Um, again, I had I had been having my ear to the ground on some of these things earlier in the week. I think I'd even texted you to ask yeah. you, have you heard anything coming out of of Old Miss circles? And you I did. think at that point, you were were not aware of it. And so my son has got a doubleheader on Friday night, and I'm there watching his game, and I've, I've got Vanderbilt, Tennessee. I'm listening through through my phone, and, and as soon as Beck got called out, you could hear the announcers are confused, and I'm thinking, I, I'm pretty sure I know what this is about. So Saturday I get to the park. I'm, I'm half expecting something crazy to happen, like uh, someone to get themed or, or there to be a, a fight or something verbal between the two dugouts. Nothing happened. Sunday, I'm at game three, and I'm, I'm starting to hear some stuff leak out about the bat that got used on Friday night had had tested, had been tested, and it was well below the, uh, the PSI limits. Um, and the significance of that is this. Um, if you want to take a bat and, and do something to it to make it hit better, the bats are constructed in a way it can give a bat what's called a trampoline effect. Uh, in other words, the, the barrel fibers are loosened up, the barrels a little softer. And so when you hit it, it's almost more like a tennis racket or something that gives it more of a catapult effect. And, and so that's why balls travel further with tampered bats. And so when I heard that the bat had tested well below the the legal level, I'm going, oh my goodness. And I, I asked the right people, uh, who would know. And I even asked people who don't know each other. If, if you get my drift. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and so from that point, it's a story. Um, I tried to track down umpires after the game to get their comment about the test. They wouldn't comment on it. Come to find out later that, because I thought, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm doing this, Neil, surely somebody's going to know whether that bat got into a game by accident, what the story was, was it, was it hot? Was it not hot? Was it just, you know, somebody didn't stick or a bat? that was legal, you know, and, and grab the wrong one by accident. There, there's a million ways this can go. And I'm just like, what is what does this look like? When I find out the PS number, PSI number is what it is, and think that's a story. Mm-hmm. And I'm just assuming at that point that it'll be public information that the SEC will announce, you know, here's the deal with the bat. It wasn't just the sticker fell off. It was that it was way below the limits. The NCA would do something. I mean, that's what I'm thinking is common sense. Come to find out as I ask, you know the SEC is deflecting to the NCA. The NCA is saying, you know, in fact, here was here was what was really alarming, Neil. When I called the NCA and or and emailed them and asked them, they did not know anything about the incident between Vandy or Tennessee, nor did they know about the one with Auburn uh, and A and M the weekend before, where the sticker also, quote unquote, fell off the bat. I'm thinking, okay, if if guys are breaking rules and there's potential for tampering, because what what people think is happening is that these bats get tested legally before games, but you got an entire different stash of bats in the dugout. And I asked the NCAA this directly, and their honesty was startling. I said, would it be possible for someone to take a bat that wasn't checked and slip into the game? And th- the spokesperson gave me the answer, and you can hear him thinking it through on the phone. He says, well, yes, it, it would be possible, but that would not be following the procedure. <laughs> which yeah and, and I'm, I'm thinking my, my jaw just about hits the floor
2: it's the I true mean, believers that run the place it's, it's 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 what you try to explain to fans and this is going to come across for you all listening or watching as me being condescending i feel like might be here for a minute i this is not condescending until you deal with these people yes you don't really understand what those of us who have ever dealt with them are talking about yeah, these people are true believers in the, in the most academic sense of the word. It's it's sort of like when you deal with people who've lived in academia their entire lives. Yes, they really don't have any concept or constructs of the real world. They just live in an ideology, and the, a lot of the people that make decisions and make policy and make rulings at the NCAA level. They have an inability to take a math problem, for example, and, okay, apply it to the real world. No, they just, take, they just take the numbers, and they just make it work, and they look at it, and they think, well, we have this rule book, and everyone follows these rules. And they're almost stunned when they find out that, no, someone slept on a couch for two nights. Well, you can't do that. That's a penalty. And that's kind of how they operate. And, and in this case, it's, well, I mean, no one would – we sticker the bats on Thursday. And those are the bats that are put into play. And you use those bats on Friday and everyone has a grand old time. And that's genuinely how those people sort of think. So when I read your story, I wasn't particularly surprised at that reaction.
4: Well, and I get what you're saying, but you can hear stuff, and sometimes it feels like urban legend until you're on the other end of the phone. I know. Uh, and and it's you know it's not just the words; it's the tone of voice. And you know, at one point, the the, the phrase "I don't like your line of questioning" was used. And, <laughs> you know, I'm and, and well. I'm, the, the the poor guy on the the phone w- was a nice guy. He was kind enough to give me his time. He was he was very honest, very honest about stuff. Kudos to him. Sure. But, I mean, I'm thinking I should not be telling you. (laughs) Your news that you had two major bat incidents should not be coming from me. It should have been coming from someone in College Station and someone in Nashville, and it probably should have been coming from an umpiring crew, or or really, it probably should have been coming from the umpires to the SEC, then to the NCAA. I mean, find some chain of command, but the fact that this bat was just going to go, I mean, they, they take the bat and they don't, frankly, the NCAA told me this straight up they don't care what it reads. That's the procedure. And if somebody does a private test on it and they find that it can hit a ball you know, 500 miles an hour, they don't care because it's their procedure and it's in the hands of the people, the coaches and the players to follow the rules. And and that's that in the story. And to to, to the extent to which, and, and I'll go further, Neil, we write stories and you know that people that we talk about have families, they have kids, they have moms, they have dads. Sure. You know, that to, to borrow a phrase, they put their pants on one leg at a time like the rest of us. And I'm going, I know how this is going to read. And so I'm, I'm thinking a couple of days later because I'm still working on stuff and I'm going, all right, I'm going to now that they've had a couple of days to let this marinate a little bit. I'm going to send them a question from a different angle. And I did this to the SEC, too. I said, hey, I know this is a difficult topic. But, you know, as well as I know, if. If a bat is found to be high, if if something happens and someone gets killed, a player, somebody in the dugout, a fan, somebody gets killed, there's going to be lawsuits. And when people file a lawsuit like that, I didn't say it this way, they're naming anybody and everybody. And what I said was, I'm sure you have thought through the liability portion of this. So knowing knowing what I have asked, (laughs) knowing pretty much what I'm going to write, knowing the information I have, I've I've kind of put it all out on the table. Now that you've had a couple nights to sleep on it, you know, how how might that be different when I phrase it in terms of liability? I sent that to the SEC. Uh, the, you know, the, my my email was empty all day till late in the afternoon when they give me another statement. It's pretty generic. You know, I'm getting referred to the NCA again. Send them the same thing, several hour delay. I get a statement from somebody else. And in the statement, and this is in my story, you can see the two sentences I bolded because they didn't have to, they didn't have to tell me. You, you, I mean, those things just jump off the page, basically says the coaches are supposed to certify that all their equipment is legal. So I, I don't know how you also interpret that as if if there's a lawsuit, it, it's on you, the coach in the dugout of the defending team liabilities on you. Uh, I, I find that incredible. But but apparently that's where we are.
2: And the stickers don't fall off. The no. stick, the, well, the stickers. Well, don't let, me, fall let, me, off.
4: let me let me let me correct you. Um, okay. I, I have since found out that it, it has been alleged that those stickers can fall off with a good bit of soap and hot water. Okay.
2: So you could, which,
4: which would then make them probably tough to reattach, but, but they're not, the stickers are not designed to fall off. But those are stickers. Um, that's
2: not, that's not getting a sticker to fall off. That's removing a sticker. Those are two. Well, different yes. Things. Cause yes. how often, how often does one soap and water his or her baseball bat?
4: Right. I mean, I mean, you 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 get where this is going. I mean, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've played baseball. I mean, I know, I know we had hats for bats. Now maybe maybe we have washes for them too. But I mean, I guess uh, it's
2: possible that Pedro Serrano washes his bat as a, as a way of of, of clean. clean uh, you know, I did see the other day where um, Shohei Ohtani gave his bat CPR. So I guess it is it is conceivable, right? Is conceivable, but it is unlikely, right? But, so all that aside. The story ran, I thought it was a really good story. and It was met with some people because I think some people wanted a smoking gun. and Yeah. I kind of thought there were some smoking guns in it, if I'm totally honest. But I'm curious, what was the reaction from people in college baseball to the story, if there was one?
4: I sent it to everybody that, that I interviewed for the article. I didn't get a response back. Um, I put it out on Twitter. You, you I... I I made it a point like there's just some things you just don't want to know. I I took my phone to a couple people said, hey, look through my direct messages, look through my mentions, tell me if there's something I need to respond to. Other than that, I don't want to know because I I know what it was and I know where it was coming from. And again, I've always told people, like, if you're going to look at the article, read, read the whole thing, because the whole thing is that, you know, people took bits and pieces and said, you said this and you said that you. You shouldn't have said that. Well, this. Well, that. I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't read the story, and I, I don't have time to respond to those people. Right. Um, I do know that it got more views. That it, it'd been read about thirty five hundred times. as of a couple of days ago. I think the number's probably a lot higher than that. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to get some traction somewhere, but but who knows? Um, frankly, what needs to happen is somebody's a bigger fish than me needs to pick up on it. Um, but because I think it's. I mean, in addition to safety, you've got competitive things. And, okay, Neil, well, here's here's the thing. What happens if somebody breaks a story tomorrow that takes it further than what I did? And now there's enough pressure on the NCA to say, okay, well, we got to do something for a bunch of reasons. Let's say that you played a, a schedule that was front-loaded with teams that were tampering with bats. And you got underwater in the league. Yeah. Um, your second half looks a lot different. Uh, but maybe it's not enough to get you into the tournament, you know, under lose normal circumstances. A, lose a job, yeah, stuff like that. L- lose a job. Sure. I mean, the draft's coming up. W- what if your kid that's doing it on the up and up and-, and 10 guys go before you that aren't? I mean, other than safety, there's a million reasons people need to look into this. But I, I just worry about – because you already saw some interesting things since then um, in, in some games – Um I'll just I'll just leave it at that. You probably you probably you, know what I'm talking about.
2: Tennessee but. Tech beat uh, Tennessee. I guess it was Tuesday night in a um a game that was played at at was at Pringles Park or Smoky's Park or whatever. Yeah, uh, they used wood bats, and those guys don't play with wood bats frequently. Um, you can cork a wood bat, but it's it's harder to do. Um, it's wood bats. I think are more true. They're more expensive. It's why colleges don't use them. Um, but I thought it was interesting that Tennessee, this team that has beaten the ball about the yard all year, everywhere they've played, everywhere they've gone, um, didn't do much offensively, swinging wood. In fact, they—I think—they lost three to two, or three to one, or two to one, something like that. They only had a handful of hits. They only scored a run or two. They lost the game. They haven't lost many games. They hadn't lost in thirty games. They're undefeated in league play. And again, this isn't to take away from Tennessee. They're a terrific right. team. With a, and they, they really are. Really, they really are. Yeah. Load of good pitching. Patello has that team playing with a chip on its shoulder. They play with a, a swagger. Uh, I think they. I think there's an intimidation factor that 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 they present. They're very athletic. Um, they're they're a very 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 good team. And and they went to Omaha a year ago, and and they are certainly a, a favorite to get to Omaha again this year. So this is not to say that they're cheating, or that they wouldn't be good if they. Hadn't had this scandal about them because I think they would be, but it was interesting that that happened and their offense in one game, which is an incredibly small sample size, but in one game, you know, the offense sort of disappeared.
4: Well, and there were some sticker checks on the Sunday game. From what I understand, um, I was also told Missouri had a bat that broke in half during the game. Oh, uh, I, I did not see it. I'm, I'm taking somebody's word for it. And, and say that's another thing. I've seen some strange things with bats this year. Um, I've seen an end cap come flying off. Um, I, I've seen another bat break in half. Um, those, those are things that can happen when there's bat. T- By the way, neither of those involve Tennessee. Um, those are things that can happen when bats are tampered with. There are also things that sometimes happen with particular makes and models. I, I was told that I can't remember which bat it was one bat's got an issue with the end cap comes falling off but sometimes if you have tampered with the end cap to load it or shave it that will fall off um if you've shaved the inside of a bat enough it, it can break like that again that doesn't that doesn't imply that when that happens that's what it is but if you've got your eyes open for some stuff um you know i, I would tell people when you watch a game especially if you're at it keep an eye on dugouts and, and just some things like that. You might not normally watch for, because I'll, I'll tell you another thing I saw a couple of weeks ago, I saw a game where balls were being fouled off towards a dugout. Um, player would pick up the ball, sniff it, pass it on to somebody else. They'd sniff it. yeah um, You're starting to see some stuff like that. You're starting to hear some whispers of substances and things like that, put on baseballs, which at the major league level, that's been like a huge story for two years. So, there's no reason it wouldn't come down. I mean, at least the NCA has the facade of a sticker check that it doesn't use. That's the other thing. I said to them, why don't you guys just have the umpires check the sticker? That put a lot of this to rest. Well, that's not part of protocol. It would require rules change, and we don't like to do that, <laughs> which is just crazy. I mean, all you're doing is telling the umpire, look at the sticker. That They don't have glove checks after games, you know, like you have at the major league level. Yeah. That wouldn't be that hard. Um. You know I, I don't how know how much of this
2: is with baseball. And, and, and yeah. listen, people aren't going to like this, but the season starts in the middle of February. Yeah. And it goes all the way through March. What do you think the NCAA is focused with in February and March?
4: Well, March Madness.
2: They're, they've got their, the, the men's tournament, the women's tournament. The men's tournament is where they make all their money. Um, they're very focused on the women's tournament now as well. They've taken some criticism for things that have happened with the women's tournament. Their resources from an attention standpoint in late February and all of March are on basketball and baseball just flies under the radar. And I kind of read that into some of the response, which was, well, no, we haven't checked on that. We don't have time for that. I mean, we're, we're, we've got these regionals in Spokane and, and, and Raleigh and Greensboro and Seattle and Austin. And, you know, we've got four coming up in, in LA and Phoenix and whatever. And we got the final four is going to be in, in, in new Orleans. And we've already got advanced teams there and we've got, COVID protocols and all this other stuff. And so yeah. you've, you've, got, you've got all that going on. I just think it just kind of goes under the radar a little bit. And, and then I'll say this also in defense of Tennessee. Anyone who thinks that Tennessee is the only team that is doctoring their bats is
4: yeah. it's very it's, mistaken.
2: <laughs> yes. There's a reason that people know what they're looking for and to some degree know what they're smelling for. Um, <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> and they know what it sounds like. That's the thing is you hear the rumblings when it's the sound. They, they're around balls hitting aluminum a lot, and so yeah. they, know, you know, they know the sound. I mean, it's like if you, listen to, if you listen to Major League Baseball, if you're just listening to it, not watching it, you can listen to a game and tell when, when a ball is, is struck hard as opposed to when a ball breaks a bat, for example. There's yeah. a sound that it makes. Well, these people are around that all the time. They know the sounds. And so when something sounds funny, their antenna go up.
4: Well, and the other thing that that bat tampering does is the sweet spot of the bat's a lot larger. So you you don't have to barrel a ball to get it out of the park, um, you, you, and which is try pitching to that. Good luck. I mean, yeah, sure. you, you know, a, a pop-up turns into three rows into the seats, and that's the other issue you're having.
2: Yeah, unlike with wood where if you get it in on the handle you break the bat. Right. You 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 a, a hitter you get that late movement that changes a double in the gap to a a weak ground ball to the pitcher. I mean it's because of where it hits on the bat because it's you're not you're not shaving the inside of a of a wood bat obviously. Yeah. Um all right. I do want to so this is it. Will be quick here because I want to get to the SEC schedule because we're getting to the part of the year where after this week it'll be the halfway mark and everyone will play five weekends and all of that. The response that you got was, "Oh, you're just a Vanderbilt guy." Yeah, and to me, this is why I tell people in in journalism, or I get frustrated about the state of journalism today. And this will be very short. Tribalism makes it where no one has credibility. Yep, and. Uh, and look, this is college baseball, college basketball stuff. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, not really impacting much of anything. But it's why I always fight that reputation. People, you know, like, do you run a fan site? No, I I, I don't. I, I, I don't like that word because, yeah. you know, that, that word implies that, oh, you're a fan serving fans. And so you serve propaganda. And once you accept that role, that's who you are.
4: Yeah, well. Neil, you've kn- you and I have known each other for what fifteen years or close to that. Yeah, before we were before I was in this role. Yeah, yeah, and and I I have not known you as well as I have the last few years. But you you know a lot of guys that cover a lot of beats. Do you know anybody that has ticked off the school they cover more often than I have the last two years? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I mean it's it's just been yeah. Th- that's yeah. the irony of this is it's been one thing after another. Now I think it's finally hit a point where uh, you know a, a truce has sort of been declared. Um, you're not you getting know, a Christmas card
2: from the people at Vanderbilt Athletics.
4: They no, I, I, I th- and I think they finally understood <laughs> that this guy's got a job to do. And somebody said, "Hey, wait a minute. You know there there aren't many people that bother to cover his Period. You know, you may not." <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think that some common sense has prevailed, but that, that's the irony is I have I've not carried the water. I've, yeah. I've written things that I know had to have hurt them in recruiting. But when something's in front of you and it's obvious, I, I think that that's your job. Um, and I think that's your job when you know something happens, you know, right in front of you and it, it may not be the team you cover, too. And that's that's the way I've tried to approach it.
2: Well, and I'm saying before we move on completely, I'll say this for you in addition to contacting the NCAA and the SEC, you gave Tennessee every opportunity to comment as well. Sure. And and there's a lot of people in modern journalism that that's not the case. That, that It's just, it's tribalism. Um, you see it all the time. You know, I mean, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, the New York Post, the New York Times, for ah. God's sake. I mean, is just a lot of tribalism in, in, in journalism where there's not a lot of fairness. And I thought you handled that story with remarkable fairness. You gave everyone an opportunity to say, no, Chris, this is total bullshit, what you're saying, it's totally yeah. wrong. And here's why. And had they, you would have written that the fact that nobody told you, no, it's completely wrong. The bat was checked out and it was fine. Nothing, ha- nothing was wrong. It was just a coincidence. And this, there wasn't a sticker. And so we had to. Call the hitter out. There was nothing. We checked into everything. There was nothing else there. It's so a no story, and you're wrong to be pursuing the story. And no one told you that.
4: No, no, nobody denied anything. I told them exactly what I knew. Would you like to dispute that? Would you like to give me your side of the story? And you know, I I could have published a story about something like that on Monday or Tuesday. I wanted to make sure I had it buttoned down. I had it right that there wasn't some variable that I, that I wasn't thinking of. And then you reach a point where you've got to hit publish because you know, you, you're never going to think of everything. Uh, and like I said, the one that I learned afterwards was it, yeah, the, the stickers technically can come off, but, but if you're doing that, it's, it's, you know, what, it's also tampering, but so if you want to be, they don't fall correct, off the wind blew. That's, that's my point. No. And they don't, they and don't for blow people off because to someone
2: touched them with the batting glove. It takes work to right.
4: Well, and, and just so people know, you have to get these things off with a razor blade under normal circumstances. So yes. th- that's I, I took my time. You you know that and this is the part I don't like too. When when there is something going on like this, everybody's sort of under a cloud of suspicion if there's no handle on it, um, and, and that's the hard part too. It's like the Hall of Fame elections in baseball. You got the guys they don't let in because of steroids. You got the guys that that get let in that it's like well we think maybe but we can't prove it so we'll let you in and it's thrown everything in chaos and that's what you don't want to see happen with the game because I think college baseball really has a very good product.
2: Yeah, I do too. I've watched I've watched a lot of it this year. Speaking of, let's get into the weekend series. A lot of Thursday through uh, Saturday series because of um, Easter. Texas A and M, who's been kind of plucky I think is the right word kind of gritty they play uh, Georgia in Athens Georgia with the pitching injury now with um, uh, their their ace what do you what do you make of of that series and of those two teams as they hit the halfway point here?
4: well cannon has been maybe the best pitcher in the league and they have had real trouble after him which is surprising because um from what I'd heard their pitching was going to be really deep. And their lineup was a thing people had a question about. Well, they're hitting the tar out of the ball lately, which is not totally unexpected because that's an old lineup. But I think that what they've been able to do is bludgeon teams. Um, sometimes when Cannon's is not pitching and then he's good enough on other days, I worry that they're pitching that they've given up a lot of runs. They've given up 190, which is a lot for a good SEC pitching staff. Um I, I think they're overperforming. I think if Cannon's out, that's a totally different team. A um, and M has has been hard to know what to do with, but they've been better since conference play. Uh, they've got a little bit of pitching too. I, I think I think just about every series is interesting every week because I think there's a lot more parity than we thought we'd have. I, I think that yeah,
2: there's no real bottom of the league.
4: That's what's interesting. There's, there's not, and and Tennessee is the one team that's just running away with it, and then yeah. you've got a step down to Arkansas and, and whoever else, probably LSU. And then you got a bunch of teams from there that any given weekend, you just don't know. I mean, you saw it last weekend. Alabama swept Ole Miss and Oxford. So um, it, it's if, if they lose Cannon, though, that's that's huge. So I'm going to pick A&M to get two in Athens. Let's see. Georgia has won both home series. Five
2: and one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm still am still going with A and think it's I'm, I'm going with chaos. All right. Two, four, and eight teams. You just mentioned Ole Miss. They go to South Carolina. The Rebels just have really struggled. They've they've been pretty good on the road. Four and two on the road. They took two out of three at Auburn. They took two out of three at Kentucky. They are zero and six at home this year. So they're probably glad to not see Swayze this weekend. South Carolina also 4-8 and eight has been – I think Chase's word was schizophrenic. I've watched them play a few times when – and it's where the proof that sample sizes don't fit in baseball. I'll probably watch them play three times, and every time I watch them, I'm kind of impressed, and then I look up and I see their number, and it's not there. It's obviously a huge weekend for both teams. The loser of this series, the the math starts getting hard.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked Ole Miss hasn't been better. Um, and I think I think Ole Miss has gotten a little bit unlucky. I, I still think despite the way they played, I like them to win that series. Um Sanders is really good, potential major leaguer. Um and they've got kind of an old part of the lineup too, which makes it tricky. And they've also played a tough schedule. But I, I just to me, Ole Miss is that's a water eventually rises it's all to its own level. And I, I just think Ole Miss is due to play better.
2: Yeah, they have got to figure the pitching out. They, 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 when you don't have an ace, and they don't, when you don't have an ace, it's, uh, it's, it's problematic. Two teams that have lost their ace square off in, uh, in Fayetteville this weekend. LSU really starting to play well. Uh, Arkansas just lost a series for the first time. And it is it 13 or 14 series. I can't remember which. Uh, they lost two out of three at Florida in what was a weird series. Arkansas won game one in a blowout kind of got blown out in, in game two and then and then game three was one of those nail biters both ways. Um I'm a little higher on LSU than a lot of people and I I've I've watched Arkansas several times this year and the word I use for them is just kind of fine. They're fine. They're 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 good. They're solid they're chilies. You know chilies it's better than Applebee's but it's just chilies. Kind of what's who they are. Um Am I wrong, or, or am, am, I, am I underestimating one of these teams?
4: I think you're underestimating them both a little bit um, okay. because they both pitch better than we thought. Um, Arkansas has been a lot better. I mean, I think that was the thing when Paulette went down. You're going, boy, who do they have? And, and they've been pretty good out of the rotation. They've been really solid in the bullpen. LSU's been better pitching they have. Than, than I thought it would have. And, and especially probably after, you know, from the second month on, they've had some real defensive issues. I think they're starting to get a little bit better there. But, I mean, with that lineup, Neil, they don't have to get outstanding pitching. They just have to get good pitching. And I think
2: – it kind of pitching keeps you in the game.
4: Yeah, I mean, you might look up the end of the year, and, and, and Tennessee, like I said, is on its own level right now. But I, I think LSU's got a pretty good chance to be number two. Uh, but Arkansas, right – I would still say Arkansas is the second-best team in the league. The thing with them is Robert Moore and some of those kids that we thought would hit have not had those kind of seasons – So I think they've still got a little left in the tank more than what they've shown.
2: Okay. Um, Got that one. Let's see. What was the other one? I mean, I try to get ahead of myself here because a couple of series don't start until Friday, Um, Kentucky and Missouri in uh, Columbia, two teams that aren't bad. Um, They're not good, but they're not bad. And they, they have bothered people and now they play each other and, Probably not a whole lot to say there. I don't know that either one of these two teams have enough to make a tournament run, although their RPIs aren't terrible.
4: I'm at the point that like, unless Tennessee's involved, I just almost go with the home team. That's kind of where this league is right now. Kentucky has really hit the ball well, but the the pitching after a couple of guys is suspect. Uh, Missouri has got a little bit more pitching depth than I thought. It's hit the ball better. Um I, I would go with Missouri, but I think that's a pretty evenly matched series. All
2: right, here's an interesting one. Mississippi State's lost five of its last six league games. They they got a Sunday game at Arkansas in extra innings that almost went against them, but they got it. And I thought, well, maybe that's going to be a, a catalyst for them. And then they go to Baton Rouge and get swept. Uh, Auburn, meanwhile, pretty good right now. They're 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 finding ways to win games, but they got to go two start. Well, is this a chance for state to get well or is it is it too late?
4: I keep thinking State's better than it's shown. Same with Ole Miss. Um, lineup's pretty good. The pitching's been the issue for the reasons everybody knows. They've been just hit really hard with injuries. Um, I kind of like them to win some high-scoring games. Uh, I think if they can solve – like Joseph Gonzalez on Sunday was really good through a bunch of off-speed stuff. I don't know how they hit that, but he just completely shut down Vanderbilt with just – pounding the zone with, with off-speed things. Uh, that might be the wild card, but, again, I, I'm kind of going home team all of these. Let's have a good reason not to. I, I think states do to play better without the injuries, but they're starting to get close to that point where they're going to run out of time, too.
2: Can Alabama get one in Knoxville?
4: Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think they can. I think Alabama's playing really well, and yep. Tennessee has not scored nearly as many runs. All, all the stuff we talked about aside, you you cannot go thirty-one and two forever. Um, that series would be more interesting if it's in, in Tuscaloosa. But gosh, Alabama just swept Ole Miss on the road, took one at State. Playing away from home has not been an issue, so it feels to me like Tennessee is due to, to lose a game, or who knows, maybe even two here. I, I probably wouldn't go two, but I think Alabama can get a game.
2: You mentioned Florida earlier. They. I thought it was big for them because I thought on Thursday night last week when they lost to Arkansas, I think it was eight to one or something like that. I thought, boy, their season's kind of on the brink right now. Like you, you, you drop both of these next games or one of these next two games, especially if you lose them both. Let's say Arkansas had swept them. You're Florida. I don't know. Really, I don't know. Really you recover from that? Their body language was not great on Thursday night on that uh, on that SEC network game. But they bounced back and they they got a big win on Saturday, like I mentioned on Friday, I should say. And then and then a kind of a dramatic win on on Saturday, where they got to Arkansas's bullpen late and won the series two to one. Now they got to go to Vanderbilt. And I keep waiting for Vanderbilt to sort of play to its talent level. And so far they they haven't. Vanderbilt's kind of prospect heavy right now, but they're not putting it together. You'll be there in Nashville. What do you what do you expect out of that series?
4: Man, that's that's a great one. That used to be about as good as any rivalry in the SEC. In fact, Florida was Vanderbilt's biggest rival uh, until Tennessee has stepped up in the last couple of years. Uh, that series is always chippy. Florida's got big issues with pitching after Hunter Barco, but it's really hit the ball well. And I know some of that's helped by their part, but Judd Fabian's been more like the Judd Fabian we thought we would get. White Langford's been really good. Uh, they're getting some power out of the catcher spot. <sighs> Vandy just hadn't clicked yet. They watched too many strikes. I have have a feeling they're going to be more aggressive. They hit three home runs in a midweek game yesterday. I talked to Tim Corbin after it. He he admitted they needed to be better in earlier counts not to get behind and attack the fastball more. Again, I'll I'll go with the home team, but if you're Vanderbilt, you're a little bit concerned because Florida's a team that can come in and get in your head. And when you've lost seven of eight in the SEC like Vandy – that's not the most mentally strong they've ever been. Um, I, I think just the fact that I think Vanderbilt's got more pitching depth is going to come in handy, but that one will be fun to watch.
2: Later this summer, I'm going to get you on and we're going to dive into football. So, but I, so I'm not going to do that now. But just a real quick thing with, with Vanderbilt, and I appreciate all the, the insight on baseball. Just with, with Vanderbilt football, they were been so bad the last few years that I think people look at them and go, W. Is this a season where teams can look at Vanderbilt on the schedule and go, that's a win? Or do you think Clark Lee has a chance to pull off a surprise or two this year?
4: I think the talent level is still not anywhere near what it needs to be, but there, you can see them slowly getting a little bit better. Um, you know, it's funny. We had a, a thing with him the other day, an off the record media session. I asked him a question because he talked about how they're improving. I said, well, you know, how much can you improve based on your talent? And he said, come in here. I want to show you guys something. He then took us in their film room for an hour, a bunch of us in the media. I've never had a coach do this. And he did this. And I don't think this happens anywhere. But he went and they had cut ups of plays that they ran in practice a year ago and last fall and showed how they ran the same play and said, now these guys know to do this instead of that. You can see where we've We've coached this. You can tangibly see the things that they have made on film. You can see practices a little bit cleaner. Uh, they're pretty good about not doing the, the stupid things that would get penalties and procedures and things like that. He's cleaned it up. Now, it's not an SEC-talented team, but just by the fact that they're Vanderbilt, people aren't going to take them seriously, I think they're going to battle you. I think they're going to really pride themselves on being physical and hitting you. Um, and, and it may not be a, a game that you just want to play because you're expected to win, but I think they'll get after you, and I think they've cleaned up some of the stuff. Now, do I think they'll win a game in the league? No, uh, but sometimes you see a team's season fall apart. Uh, you see three or four teams in the league every year that you just get crushed under the weight of expectations, and they're, they're mailing it in at season's end, and you know kids are already got one foot out the door in the transfer portal and stuff like that. I think by the end of the year, uh, they're they're getting better. I think there's a lot more buy-in, and I I don't think it's the rubber stamp win that'll be a year ago. Even though I, I still probably would not pick them to win a game in the league. Yeah, it's
2: interesting you say that because I've kind of heard that from some people that that you could tell there was a little more buy-in that that, and I I think he's an impressive guy. Yeah, um, you know, um, I, I I was impressed with because they played Ole Miss late in the season last year, and they had every reason in the world to just go, ah, whatever, name your score, let's get this over with. And they didn't. I thought they really competed that night. I mean, gave, made it made it tense a little bit for a while. And Ole Miss got the win, and it was fine, and Ole Miss was pointing towards something else. But still, I thought, I was impressed with it. And I've had people tell me, yeah, that's that's kind of who he is. And, and if – I had someone tell me they're going to get somebody this year. I don't know who. They're going to get somebody this year. This is, they're, going, they're going to win a game in the league. They're going to upset somebody, and, and it's going to be because someone comes in and goes. Because, because the coach I was talking to was like, look, you can, you can tell kids all week, hey, guys, guys, but they're kids, and, and they've seen the scores, and they see the record, and they go, we're a 27-and-a-half point favorite or whatnot. We're going to win. This is the Coaches are full of it. They're just doing coach stuff. And then by the time the kids realize, oh, God, we've got a game on our hands, it's too late. And so, anyway, as was said about Vanderbilt, was like, hey, they're going to they're gonna be bad, and they're going to lose a whole bunch of games, but they're going to get somebody because he's, he's got them moving in the right direction. So, interesting you say yeah. that because it sort of jobs with what I was told.
4: Yeah, they're going to try to moneyball it, and I think I've, I've talked to them a little bit about what that approach looks like. I, they're really bright. They're they're very, very bright. Now, that can only take you so far, but case in point to what you said, they had no business being within two touchdowns of anybody. Last year, they got a, a lead on South Carolina. Carolina gets the ball back with, what, a minute and a half left on on their eight and goes down the field and scores inside the final few seconds to win so they were they were that close a year ago which didn't seem like much at the time and then you saw the way Carolina played the rest of the way and that was a pretty good football team so um, I, I think they're in a more competitive position this year you know another thing if Ken Seals is a starter he had about three different injuries last year that really hurt him he's looked better in fall camp I don't know if he's going to earn spring ball I don't know if he'll start if he will start Mike Wright who's more mobile but You can see them getting better at that position, and that's a big thing too.
2: Chris, I appreciate all the time, really do. Thanks so much. Great work on that story. I appreciate all that you do. How can people uh, follow your work over the course of the week?
4: Yeah, go to southeastern14.com. We'll have our written stuff there. We've also got a YouTube channel that's kind of blown up. Uh, We haven't done as much lately. We were doing five uh, five days a week in season. There'll be more of that, and those are the best ways to find us. That's Chris
2: Lee with Vandy Sports. Thanks, my friend. I appreciate you.
4: You bet. Thank you.
2: Again, our thanks to Chris Lee for uh, his time on the show today. Wanted to make sure we got this out to you guys, uh, at least in video form, if you wanted to watch it before uh, the baseball series gets started tonight in Columbia. It's Ole Miss and South Carolina getting things started on Thursday night. One of, I think, five SEC series that gets started this evening. So uh, enjoy the weekend. We will have uh, football content to you on uh, Saturday. Ole Miss's scrimmage at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Some recruiting content coming your way, I hope. Uh, Also, a lot of 24, 25, and even a couple 26 prospects in town. Not a lot of the 23 guys. I think this is going to be much more heavy on that next week for the Grove Bowl. Uh, We'll have uh, coverage of baseball throughout the weekend. I'll have 10 weekend thoughts up to you on uh, Sunday Evening as well, enjoy uh, the college baseball series, enjoy the NBA playoffs, which uh, get rolling uh, for real on Saturday, and uh, enjoy your weekend. Happy Easter. If you're traveling, be safe, and we will uh, talk to you on Monday on the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Until then, again, our thanks to Eric Edholm, our thanks to uh, Chris Lee, and please make sure that when you uh, have heating and air needs that you get in touch with the people at Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. That's what makes shows like this one possible. Have a great weekend. Take care.
1: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.